Well, uh, you ready for some word today? If you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out. Or if you have your phone, turn with me to Psalm 34. Psalm, the 34th chapter. And I want to continue today with a series that we've been in called The Real God. Anybody ready for some more of this? The real God. Say, are you implying that there is a fake God? Well, more than one. (laughs) And uh, the fake, fake gods, they don't have a capital G. You understand? We say small g, that means they're not truly God or deity, uh, but rather something pretending, something phony, something fake. And there's lots of fake in our world, lots of phony baloney. Uh, but we want to identify and serve and worship the real God. And not only that, not only do we want to discover and find the real Lord, we also want to have a correct narrative about him. Because you can truly be worshiping God but believe something about him. Uh, believe something about him to be true that's not true. And so we want to make some corrections, adjustments, because the more we see him, you guys stop messing with my mic. <laughs> stop making adjustments to me. Make adjustments to you. <laughs> the more we see him clearly and accurately, the more we're going to have confidence and faith in him, the more we can walk with him, worship him, receive from him. And so a clear picture is of great value. Praise God. Psalm 34 and verse 8 is, has been our text. It reads, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Why don't you read that out loud with me? We'll do it one more time. Here we go. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Praise God. Now, if you're you're wondering about that man thing, typical of other Bible verses, that's referencing the species, right? The species. So, ladies, you're blessed too. Not just talking about gender here. The species man or mankind. I know that's even politically incorrect, but I totally don't care. (laughs) Let's just get the message. Let's hear it from God. We're not among the offended group. We're not looking for offense, right? going to take a lot of work to offend us because we know that interrupts the seed of God's word in our life. All right. Now we've seen uh, previously how, uh, that how the devil works constantly to undermine our view of the true nature of God. All right. Uh, he wants to get us to believe that God is holding some things back from us. Uh, that, that he has good things or we could have a better life or experience a lot of you know, wonderful things in this life, but God is the one keeping them away. And, of course, if you fall into that lie, you're not going to walk closely with the Lord because the closer I get to him, the worse my life gets if my belief is wrong. Yeah. But if he really is good and I believe that he's good, then the closer I get to him, the better I get the better off I am, the happier I am, the more blessed I am. Why? Because his goodness then gets in, into me. Okay, so my view of the Lord is, is really important. Uh, religion has been, I think, largely responsible for a, mis, uh, a maligned view of God, a twisted view. 
Now, I understand that religion in some situations has led people to seek God and find the answer and find salvation, but many, I think it's responsible for many of the misunderstandings that people have. And, you know, God has been fake news more than anybody. <laughs> since, since creation, he has, been, he has been the one who's been lied about. The devil wants him to appear unattractive, unappealing, undesirable, irrelevant. And, and again, so people won't draw near to him. They won't call upon him when they have trouble. They'll, they'll run looking elsewhere. They'll look for other things to solve their problems, which uh, are never going to truly satisfy. Uh, but again, that picture of God, it's almost like the, you know, the fun house at the fair. You got those funky mirrors and you go stand in front of them and you look different than you were, right? You look all twisted and stuff. And uh, that, that, that messed up image is what we never want to have. We don't want it of ourselves either, but we don't want to have that of the Lord where he is uh, viewed as something that, that he's not. Good. All right, now, our our kingdom, let me say it this way, our kingdom involvement, okay, our commitment to him personally, all these things are directly tied to our belief about his goodness. Okay, let me say that some, let me say that a different way. If I lack full and complete commitment to the Lord, I don't believe he's good. Otherwise, what in the world am I thinking? Why would I not give him my whole heart and my whole life? I mean, he's good, right? But if I don't believe he is, I don't believe that God's, that God's very nature translates into me being better, then of course I'm gonna stay at arm's length or go looking elsewhere for my joy and satisfaction in life. So if I'm not fully devoted, I need to hear this teaching, right? And more than what I'm able to say. I need to discover the goodness of God. I need to find the reality of who he is. At the same time, now this is, for some, it's you know, a little bit in your face, but I'm the pastor and I love you. <laughs> so I can do this, right? right. Uh, for some, your lack of revelation of God's goodness is revealed in your lack of participation in his kingdom. What do I mean by that? I mean, if I believe that my life would be better off if I have spend as little time as possible in church and serving people and in doing these type of things, uh, then that's what I'm going to do. I believe he's not going to make my life better by me being involved in what's important to him. So I'm going to do other things. Hallelujah. Okay. So, so, so my question, is God as good as golf? Someone says some days. <laughs> uh, is God as good as hiking? Is he as good as fishing? Uh, fishing or some other. I'm not saying any of those things aren't good or fun or enjoyable or beneficial to life. I'm saying... Uh, there is a revelation of what, how we think about the Lord and being involved in his business that shows us what we think is going to be the result. If I get too close to him or and involved too much, my life will somehow be less full, less satisfied. 
if I believe that. If I believe that he's not good or if he really isn't as good as he's being proclaimed to be. But if he really is that good, then, then why wouldn't I have a really strong prayer life where I'm in communication with him a lot? Why wouldn't I seek out opportunities to serve and be involved in what he's doing, having him help people through me? Why wouldn't I read his word? If I believe he's good, all those things are connection points to his goodness, which make my life better. Do you see the logic here now? Okay. By the absence of that, it shows I don't really believe he's good. Hallelujah. Is this deep or is this, or is this annoying? One of the most famous verses, I, only, I usually read a lot of famous ones, so at least they're famous in my mind, so I say that. Uh, famous verses about God is 1 John 4, 8, all right? It reads, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love, all right? Now, there are a lot of statements that could be made about the Lord that are accurate, that are true, uh, but it is a whole nother level to another <laughs> to say that God is something. Not, in other words, it's not just how he acts. He does not just do lovely things. He does not just act in loving ways. He actually is love. Capital I, capital S is love, all right? How, how do we think about him? What is our view? If it's correct, he's dripping <laughs> with love. It comes out of his pores. Does God have pores? It comes through his eye. It comes through his words. It, he is love personified. It's the one word that describes him best though others would be true, he is love. Now, if our view is different, and I, I think a lot of us wrestle with this, it might help at times to make some adjustments to how we use the word God or Father or Lord. And maybe for a season, we could replace the word God with love. If he is love, then I could read scriptures that say, and the Lord God said, boom, and the Lord said this, and I can switch it out and say, and love said, and love declared, and love, right? Yes. And when I'm praying, I could say, instead of where I might say, like Jesus taught, pray, uh, taught us to ask the Father in his name, I could instead of saying, dear Father, I might say, dear love, I may say love, and what am I doing? But by, by addressing him or reading him into the scriptures that way, I'm fixing my image of him because he is love. I'm not getting it wrong. I don't think he'll be offended, right? He is love, and that being ingrained into my thinking is gonna be so helpful because how does lo love, would you help me? No, <laughs> How could we imagine love himself holding back good things from us or re declining to accommodate us with his strength and help and healing and, and, and everything that, that he is? He is 
love. Amen? Now, what does that mean? Again, I go back to this. One of the key ways for us to identify love in our own lives is by how we treat other people. Remember, love is the New Testament commandment, right? We are to love one another. How do I examine and, I, and how do I know if I'm really doing it? How do I know if I'm doing the love thing towards you, towards other, others in my life? One way, not the only way, is found in Romans 13.10, which reads, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, how do I know if I'm walking in love towards other people? It's a matter of do I do them any harm? Will I, will I cause them trouble? Will I be, uh, uh, you know, a hindrance to their well-being in any way? It's one of the ways that wise people, especially Christians, how they judge their own behavior, especially when dealing with different, uh, difficult people or a difficult circumstance or a disagreement somehow, is we ask ourselves the question, uh, what would love do? Have you ever done that? I mean, I've done that before. Okay, I know what I would do. Now let me think about this. I would do, I say, punch, I say, kick. Uh, no, uh, sometimes we want to get people back or we want to, uh, you know, pay them what, they're, what they got coming. But what would love do? And that's where a mature person will step back and say, how would love treat that person? And that sometimes will completely alter our, our actions towards them. Okay, now that being the case, that being the, 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 you know, the, the line, the canon by which we judge our own behavior towards other people, if God is love, how does he treat us? If love does no harm to a neighbor, how does God treat us? I think it would be also accurate to say if God is love, then he does us no harm. How do I view him? He never harms me. If I at all, at, for any moment, look back at my life or look in a current situation and I have deduced that what is going on is somehow shy of love or God is doing me harm, he's doing me wrong in the situation, I have a dirty window. You know what I'm talking about? I'm looking at him and I got spots and mud and all kinds of stuff, and it might be religion or experience or some other lie, but it's not really him. When I get that thing cleaned off, I'll say, oh no, God's not doing me any harm. He, he is love. He's for me, not against me. Okay, would you turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8? See, he, he's not the one causing all the suffering. He's the one leading people out of it. He's the one, if we'll listen for his voice, he'll tell us how to get, get around it, get through it, get over it, get victory. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Say amen if you have it. Amen. Say oh me if you don't. <laughs> Verse 31. Romans 8, 31. Uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not 
with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Can you see here that, that the true, the real, the accurate God, the accurate per, our perception of God, He is one who gave and continues to give. He's not the one taking. Okay, let me highlight these statements. God is for us. He did not spare His own Son. He freely gives us all things. It's God who justifies. It's Christ who died. He's the one making intercession for us continually. Can you see the, the actions and attitude and disposition of God in the past through Christ and in the present towards our well-being? He is working for you. He is working for me, not against me. He's not my enemy. I shouldn't run from him. If I need help, I should seek every opportunity to be closer to him. To, to think right, to be with him, to talk with him, communicate with him. Why? He's good and he's on my side. He's good and he's doing things for me. Amen. It, it, it's, not, it's not a mystery. And I don't say this in any kind of judgmental way, just like the Lord is not condemning here, he's justifying. It's not a mystery from a pastoral perspective to see uh, why certain individuals... Uh, make wrong choices and experience, you know, a lot of hardship in their lives. So often, it's directly tied to them distancing themselves from the Lord. It's, it's, there's just a direct connection. I don't mean 100% of the time I can draw a straight line, but very often. It's like this led to this, led to this, led to this. I, I, t I was talking to... Uh, pastoral staff the other day, I said, I'm, I'm starting to make a list of illogical things. I haven't completed that list, but now I'm telling you. And it's just the little things we hear now and then. You know, illogical things, like the person who said, we're really having trouble in our marriage, so we decided to take a break from church. Some of you are laughing, but not all of you are laughing. I'm saying illogical. That's called, I don't believe God is good. Really is. The person who said, we've been struggling in our finances, so we're going to hold back on our tithe for a while until we get caught up. You don't believe God's good. Now, I'm not beating you up in this. I'm loving you. <laughs> we got to think, we got to think like the Lord thinks. If he's good, I want to prioritize everything he says. And when my brain starts messing with me and I start thinking like that, and this just starts making sense. How many know even sin is called uh, uh, pleasurable for a season? Sin will lie 
to your face and say, you should do this. It's a good idea. Yeah, you should get with that chick, even though she's not your wife. She's pretty. She's wonderful. That would be a smart thing. You'll be happier. No, you won't. Five minutes later, or whatever. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> Sin will come and bite you in the rear end and say, hi, here's the real truth. So many things are like that. Sin is deceptive. It'll lie to us. How'd I get off on that? I'm saying the Lord is good. When you believe it, you're going to say, well, he says not to do this. Oh, it looks really fun, though. Oh, this looks amazing. I think my life would be better if I do this. But he's good. And he's saying no. He's good. And he's saying do it a different way. When you believe he's good, you're going to say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and trust him. He's right. So again, I want to say, God's not the one taking from us. He's the one giving to us. You say, well, what about that song that says the Lord gives and the Lord takes? That song is wrong. Not all songs are correct. Right? Say, but isn't that a Bible verse? Well, it is. But not all Bible verses are God talking. Do you know that's the case? Not, not every, every verse in here is thus saith the Lord. Some of them are thus saith the devil. Some are thus saith other people. It's not, it's, not, it's not that hard because you just read the context, you find out who's talking. And then you say, is that person inspired of the Lord or is this them? It's just an accurate record of what happened. That's what a lot of scriptures are. Amen. It's like the famous compilation of the person who, who you know, was praying for the, for the Lord to give him a word. And they read, Judas went and hanged himself. Yeah. And then they said, oh, Lord, what? Go you and do likewise. <laughs> well, those were Bible verses. Probably ought not put them together. Anyway, the one, the one I was thinking of, when talking to you about how God gives from Romans 8 and gives to us continually, repeatedly, again and again, he's helping, he's with us, is the statement from Job where he said uh, in Job 121, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord, okay? And that's the scripture that some people, they, they use, and they say, yeah, the Lord took this from me and took this from me, and, and slow down. Uh, Job didn't know everything. He didn't. And the next verse actually says, I like the new living because it's clear. It, it, it's, it said, in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Do you know the difference between blaming God and sinning and blaming God and not sinning? It's called knowledge. Sin is directly tied to light people have. That's why some people do things and it's like, oh, I could never do that. That's because you have light on that issue and they don't. That's why it's not necessarily wrong for them in the moment. There, there was no malicious accusation of this. When you read the scriptures, we don't even know if Job knew there was a devil. Because everything's God this, God this, God this. There are other characters in the Old Testament that the same way. It's like, you, say, you, think, you think everything's from God. 
And it's like it's not, but they don't seem to know the source of everything that happens, and so God gets blamed. Now, now listen, we know better. We're in a new covenant. We have Jesus, the exact image and representation of God the Father. Jesus is the one who said, it's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Remember John 10, 10? Okay, so he said, it's not God taken from you. That's the thief that's stealing from you. God is adding to you. I've come to give you, to give, 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 give. Not take, 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 take. So when we're blaming, we should know who's the giver and who's the taker. Hallelujah. Everybody okay? Say, well, what about that word? Uh, What about the sovereignty of God? What about God's sovereignty? In, in some circles, that's like the, the end-all answer to all discussions. Like if ever something bad happens, well, God's sovereign. If ever a prayer doesn't get answered, well, you know, God's sovereign. And it's like, that's, it's just, it ends all discussions. Like, don't talk. Don't ask questions. In fact, don't pray. Don't believe. Don't, you, don't do anything because God's sovereign. And people don't know what they're saying. And it, it's a hindrance. We, gotta just, we might as well wipe out the whole, whole of Scripture as far as anything that we are to do. Well, because God's sovereign. Did you know that the word sovereign and sovereignty are not, is not even in many translations? I mean a big fat zero. Not even in the Bible. Yet that's the, the answer to all questions. Anything that's a mystery, anything we don't understand, any bad situation, we just declare that. No. That's not how this works. Now, others that it does, other some modern translations that do use that word and, and frequently, it's just a it's a translation of the word of the English words the Lord God. Often the Lord God is translated as the sovereign Lord. Okay? Now, I don't have a problem with it as long as we understand what the word sovereign means. It just means he is the supreme highest ranking authority. What it doesn't mean is God controls everything. And that's how it's interpreted, and that's what ruins everybody's faith. Because it doesn't matter what I believe, because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's not up to me. There's no use praying. There's no use for patience. There's no use for endurance. There's no use for meditating on the Word. No use to have a life of prayer and praise. No use to surround yourself with others of like precious faith. No no use for any of these things, because it's just going to be the way it is. Unless it doesn't really mean that. Hallelujah. And so, when we talk about God's goodness, how does good act? How would you know if someone were good? If I, if I told you I am a good person, how would you know? How, how would you judge that? You would probably look at what I do, right? You would say, yeah, this person does good things. They're generous, they're kind, whatever, they're forgiving, they're helpful. They're a good person. But if someone does the opposite, if they kick you when you're down and lie about you and talk about you behind your back, and, and you don't get to describe that person and say, oh, but they're just really a good person. They're not. Right? Stay away. Now, we judge people. It's kind of like, like Forrest, you know? You know the philosopher Forrest Gump? <laughs> when people would call him stupid. And he would say, Mama always said, stupid is and stupid does. 
I think there's some wisdom to that. In other words, if someone says you're stupid, who cares? It doesn't matter. It matters what you do. Right? If you, someone says you're stupid, but you don't do stupid things, well, they're wrong. Or if they're right, it doesn't matter that you're called stupid because you don't do stupid things. Likewise, goodness works this way. If someone's good, I say, good is as good does. Right? If someone's good, show me that by good things. Do good things, that reveals whether or not good is just a theory, is just a word, is, is just a, you know, an idea. Now, when we read Psalm 34 in verse 8 today, taste and see the Lord is good, um, first two weeks, we read the other verses, and I need to read those again. Is that okay? They're still the same as they were last time we read them, but we need to read them again. Psalm 34, this time on the screen, verses 1 through 7. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Stop right there for a moment. I have a question. Why? You think that's a valid question? David's penning, he's psalming here. I will bless the Lord at all times. That's a lot of times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's a lot of praise. Right? Gives no room for complaining. But he's going to do these things. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you say that about the Lord? Why would you magnify him? Why would you say, come on, you guys, let's do it together. Let's magnify the Lord. You know what the answer is? is verse four through seven. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. That's with, radiant with joy. And their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The reason, and then the next verse is, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What do you mean? Just some theoretical goodness that we're all supposed to accept and embrace and sing the songs? No, it's directly tied to actions. God did this for me. He saved me. He protected me. He healed me. He helped me. He heard me. He's always there. Man, he's so good. You need to taste for yourself. That is the, the, the progression in David's relationship with God why he declared he is good he had experiences of God coming through for him. So it's not just a theory, he's good, but it doesn't practically impact me. No, God is good in measurable ways. He is good to such a degree that my life is better the more I look to him. Everybody okay? He hears, he delivers, he makes radiant with joy and saves us out of troubles. God is the giver. Love gives. One more verse today. James chapter 1 and verse uh, 17 reads, every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? From above. And comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We could say, because he doesn't change. 
Where do the good things come from? They come from him. They come from above. Goodness comes from God. So he is good in measurable ways. Goodness drives out badness. Drives out evil. Praise God. Amen. My point today is when we're thinking otherwise, we're thinking differently. We're questioning why things happen. We need to clean the mirror, you know, the window. We need to get an accurate view of God because over and over we see he is saying, he is declaring, I want to do this for you. I want to give to you. I want to lift you and not put you down. I, I remember uh, hearing uh, a, a way of thinking from Keith Moore and, and because I can't quote him on this, but he'll be here in a few weeks. You could ask him, maybe. <laughs> uh, but he presented this line of, of, of thinking, so I'm not quoting is what, what I'm saying, is he was asking the question one time, how, how good is good? How good is God? How good is your good God? Or something to that effect. And for a person in need, say a person in need of transportation, you know, is he good enough to give you a bicycle? Is, he, is God that good? I mean, what do you think? All right, is he good enough to give you a motorcycle? If that's what you wanted or needed, that's, is he that good? Is he motorcycle good? What about car good? What do you, you know, keep the wind off your face. Car good. What about low mileage car good? Is he Hyundai good? <laughs> just, just progress the thought with me. How good is God? If he, is he good enough to give you one of these? If, if, is, he, is he that good? You know? Now, don't be offended, religious people, okay? I don't know who you are. Is he Mercedes good? Some, oh, no, no, he's not that good. No. He might be bicycle good, but he's not... If you have need of shelter, would he give you a tent? Is he good enough to give you tent? Keep the rain off of your head. What about double wide? Is he good enough to give you that? All right, is he good enough to give you a condo? Duplex? Single family unit? How good is God? Is he good enough to give you a house with a swimming pool? See, this troubles people when they get all, oh, no, oh, oh, that's materialism and all this stuff. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. We can't stop creating God in our image. That may be totally a reflection of my training or my religious thinking or whatever. I want to see in purity how good God is. What would he do for me? Hallelujah. Is the airplane good? <laughs> I don't know. Where, where are we going to put the limit on this? Where are we going to say, oh, no, he'd never do that. Oh, that's too much. He's not that good. I say he's good beyond our wildest dreams good. And we are way lagging in what we can con you know, conceive in our minds or our visual concept of how big and good and loving and gracious and generous he is towards us, there is no way that we're going to outthink him. 
Remember what Ephesians said, Ephesians 3.20? God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. If ever we have a thought, he has a bigger one. If ever we imagine something great, we're only scratching the surface and how good he is. So there's not a chance we're going to overshoot him. We're going to go beyond and say, and, and consider him to be so good. No, we're catching up. But I believe at the end of the day, when we get our taste, we'll all sit back and say, hmm, nice. Oh, wow, he's so good. If we struggle with this, here's, an, here's, a, uh, here's something to try, something you could exercise. Go back and write down everything you can think of that he has done for you. In essence, that's what David's doing. Go back and say, he provided, he did this, he helped me, he answered this prayer, he gave this to me, he healed me, he, he saved me. He, go back. And, and if in the middle of it you're struggling, saying, I don't know if I have a list. Say, Lord, help me to see what you've really done. Help me to acknowledge and fully embrace the things you've already done for me. And then we start our list. What's going what's to be the end result of this? We're going to say, ah, he has been so good to me. And that helps us to enter into more of his goodness. See, God's goodness equals our enrichment, our, be our betterment, our, uh, our better life is a result of connect being connected to his goodness. When I see all he's done for me, I'm not going to come out of that bragging on my own self. Say, yeah, I'm good. It's because I'm good with money. Yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of financial wisdom. Or I worked hard. I spent a lot of time in school. I did this and that. We're not going to come out doing that. All right? We're going to come out saying, you know, the Lord has been good to me. These things happen. Man, it's because of God's grace. He has been so good to me. And that's when we're not making our boast in ourselves. We're making our boast in the Lord. David could have said, yeah, but I dealt with a lot of trouble and it was my own perseverance that kept me from being overcome by Saul and all my enemies. I did this. He didn't do that. He had a clear picture of God and he came out saying, he's the man. <laughs> he is awesome. He is worthy of my praise. Amen? Let's make our boast in the Lord because he is worthy of it. He's deserving of all of our praise. Father, thank you for working in here right now by your spirit. Thank you for the pleasure of God becoming our daily experience.